This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and I am here with another installment of our 31 Beats Beat Writer interview series, and we've got a fun one today. I was joined by Corey Massasak from The Athletic to talk about the New Jersey Devils, and we talked through all the guys, you know, Gusev, Hughes, Heischer, P.K. Subban, what happened with him? I think you're really going to like this interview. Before we get to it, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, this fantastic fantasy hockey website that just keeps having new articles posted, even though you think there's nothing happening. But now there is something happening because they just announced this new potential 24-team format. So you want to check out everything that's going on there. There's the daily ramblings that have been coming out every day. You've got articles about advanced stats. I see one recently about IPP. Uh, an article about cap leagues. I'm just browsing down now. You've got everything you need to be successful in whatever type of fantasy league you're in. So definitely check it out, dauberhockey.com. But with that, let me cut over to my interview with Corey Massasak about the New Jersey Devils. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, really excited about this upcoming interview that we're going to be doing. I have joining me the staff writer for The Athletic covering the New Jersey Devils, Corey Massasak. Welcome to the show, Corey. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Great. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk Devils. They're a team that have really perplexed me this season because like going back two years ago, they had that surprising playoff berth, you know, on the back of Taylor Hall's MVP season. But then they took that huge step back in 2018-19 where the season pretty much became a write-off when Hall went down with that knee injury in December. But going into this season, 2019-20, a lot of people, myself included, pegged the Devils to be like a sleeper team. Like Hall was back to full health. They drafted Jack Hughes. They traded for Subban and Nikita Gusev. Uh, like and combined that with Nico Heischer being 20 now with a couple years under his belt. Like I really thought this team could be a challenger, but then when the time of looking at the team on paper was over and uh, the actual on ice product left a lot to be desired, like a lot of players disappointed Hughes, Gusev, Subban all struggled out of the gate and come like December 16th, they traded Taylor Hall because they weren't doing well. This was after they fired coach John Hines and promoted Alan Nazardine to be the interim coach on December 3rd. Uh, but interestingly, after Hall was traded, the team actually performed better the rest of the way. Uh, they went 18, 12, and 7 before the season was paused. So I guess my first question to you, focusing on the bad start, is like, what do you think went wrong there? Like, were, Was I just being naive in thinking that adding these guys would make a huge difference? Or was the organization thinking the same thing, but then it just didn't work out that way? Yeah, no, I definitely think everyone associated with the organization expected the team to be better this year. Like, I, I think they knew... No, nobody really said it publicly, but they knew last year was there was the potential for last year to be a step back. But after the offseason they had this year, I think they, you know, I think some of the fans' expectations might have got a little out of control. Specifically, everything seemed to be kind of normal and fine. And then they got Gusev at the end of the month in July. And it was like, okay, Ray Shiro won the summer. Now they're good. And mm-hmm. so I think like the expectations were like, well, it, if they were about as good as they were the two years prior, let's say like, fighting for the last spot playoff spot, like maybe a couple somewhere in like the seven to 10 range in the East, that would have been totally acceptable, totally fine. Even if they didn't make the playoffs, if they were just in and around the hunt, but I mean, they lost the first six games of the season and then, and it was pretty much a disaster from that point on. I mean, they, it's really like, it was amazing how many times, how many different players pointed to the, they got up four, nothing on opening night against Winnipeg and lost five, four. 
And like how many times they pointed back to that game, like it was somehow like this big turning point in the season um, <laughs> on the first day. Right. I mean, if you, you know, if you're, if losing one game is a turning point, that's not a good sign, but no, I mean the, the biggest issues that they had were um, number one, the goaltending was just, you know, among the two or three worst in the league for the first half of the season. It was just, and it wasn't just like, all the guys had some bad nights. They were just, they had some just completely uncompetitive nights. I think honestly, the low point of the season was probably they played a game against Tampa Bay uh, at home where they just completely outplayed the lightning who, you know, one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league, just literally ran them out of the building, except for the fact that Corey Schneider couldn't stop the puck and they lost. It was either seven to six or eight to seven or whatever it was. It was, I mean, they just, they outshot them like 45 to 20 and it, it was, it was really bad. And so that, and that was like, you know, that was the last game. That, I think that was the last game that Corey started or the second last game that he started before they waved him and sent him to the minors. Um, so that was the number one thing. There were, there were seven other problems. Like the, the power play wasn't good and consistent enough. Um, the defense, defense core is still a huge problem and is not deep enough uh, with like good NHL players. They have NHL bodies. They just don't have enough good NHL players there. Um, Wayne Simmons didn't score enough goals after they signed him. Uh, Nikita Gusev took 15 or 20 games to get acclimated to the NHL. Uh, you know, Jack Hughes did not have the, the season that a number one overall pick typically has. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there were 17 different things really that went wrong. I mean, there was a, there was a point in the season where really Blake Coleman was literally the only player who was on pace to outscore what he had done the year before. So yeah, so it, I mean, the first half was a mess. They did play better the second half of the season. Um, well, I wouldn't say, I, to say that they played better is a little bit of a misnomer. I think they played harder once the coaching change was made and they realized that they were all kind of fighting for their jobs mm. and the goalie specifically Mackenzie Blackwood. And then at the very end of the year, Corey Schneider came back, but it was, I mean, the goalie played, I mean, Mackenzie Blackwood from like December 10th on was one of the five best goalies in the league. And that covered up a lot of problems. I mean, they, all of the, you know, all of the possession stats and the scoring chance numbers, all that stuff all actually went down after Taylor Hall got traded, which makes sense. I mean, he's one of the best players and, offensive players in the league but the goalie started stopping like 93 percent of the shots so that covered up a lot of problems so do you think that that's like the main reason why the devils turned things around in the second half like i know people will just point to oh look at that you traded taylor hall and all of a sudden you're a better team but is that like obviously too simplistic and it's really yeah. just the goaltending was better and that explained most of it right i mean i mean there were you know like nikita gusev became a much better player yeah. over the well his last 30 or so games he looked like the guy that they expected they were going to get. Um, Kyle Palmieri had like a slow start, but started scoring at his normal rate near the end of the year. They put Jesper Bratt, Pavel Zaka, and Gusev together for like the last 10 games before the pause. And that was the best that Bratt and Zaka had played all year. Um, and those are two of the guys that just, it just seems like every year they have, you know, Zaka will have 10 or 12 games where he just looks like he, that's the guy that they drafted at six overall. And then the rest of the time he doesn't. And Brad has is a little bit more consistent than that. But those are really two guys that they, if they could just get a full season of, out of them of what they show for twenty or twenty five games out of the year, at some point you know the whole this whole thing is going to look different. Yeah, I find that Jesper Bratt especially has had these stretches of looking like a super, you know, relevant offensive player in the league. Like overall this past season, he had 32 points in 60 games, but 22 of those points came in his final 30 games. If you just look at the final 30 games, that's a 60 point pace. We're talking about like a star player in the, in the league. Uh, but like, like you said, he's, you know, had rough starts in previous seasons and also did a lot of injury trouble. So like, he's one guy I definitely wanted to ask you about. So might as well ask you now, since you brought him up, like, do you think Jesper Bratt is someone that can put together a full healthy season like are these injuries behind him at this point because it seems like like they like putting him on the top line and it seems he's like he's capable of putting up a lot of points yeah I mean I don't know if the I don't know if the the injury stuff is necessarily behind him I mean he's he's always going to be a small guy who is also willing uh to go into the dirty areas which is part of the reason why they love him but that's also you know he may you know, the, even, you know, you look at some guys who are his size who kind of go into the dirty areas. Those guys, a lot of times they'll, they'll play, they'll only be able to play 70 or 75 games a year. I mean, he's had, in each of his three seasons, he's had a stretch of 30 games where he had at least 20 points. Mm-hmm. And so like, so for 30 games a year, he, there, there's a stretch where he looks like a top line wing and the rest of the, his other games that he's played over the course of his, his career, he looks more like a third or a fourth line guy. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. I would imagine that unless he takes a big step forward, like if we look ahead three or four years from now, I think he, I think he will be a top six forward for the devils when 
slash if they have a really good team, but he won't necessarily be like the star or like the second best player or whatever. I think he'll be like, you know, kind of like the, I don't know what's a good example. Like the guy, like, you know, a good scorer on a second, on the second line who helps out in a whole bunch of different ways. Right. That makes sense. I guess he's the type of player, like in terms of fantasy hockey, like if he's getting hot, you want to get on it because he seems to be able to go on these runs, but he hasn't proven to be able to put together like a full successful season. Uh, You brought up the line mate he had at the end of the year, Nikita Gusev. He's someone also like, I was super excited about him coming into the league. He had just led the KHL in scoring just like previous imports Panarin and Radulov had and, and Dadanov also had so much success after coming from the KHL to the NHL. But like you said, Gusev had that dreadful start to his career by November 26th, only eight points in 20 games. And even more concerning, he was seeing like less than 10 minutes per game in a bunch of those games, was even scratched for three games in early November. But he had that three assist game versus the Habs on November 28th. And after that, he went on to have a pretty solid season, 36 points in his final 46 games. So that's a 64 point pace. And he put up a lot of that production playing on lines, you know, not the top line. Like I saw he was playing with Cole, though, like you said, Coleman was like one of the best players on the team for a while, but he was like playing with Coleman and Zajac for a while. And then with like Bratton and Zaka after Coleman was traded and he like sporadically got opportunities on the top power play, but didn't even play on the top power play all the time. Uh, do you think like next season, now that Gusev is acclimated to the league, do you think he could keep up this production that he put up post November 28th, be like a 65 plus point guy next season and maybe even higher if he could, you know, get that perfect deployment playing with say a he share or something. I guess it's possible. I, you know what I, I went, I remember one of the, um, there was an article that everybody at the athletic did right before the season started. It was like 15 bold predictions. And one of mine was that the, the devils would have four guys that scored 60 points. And so the thing is, like that doesn't sound like that much. Like, I mean, I think there are teams that have end up with five or six guys like that, but the devils have only had uh, like two guys score that, that many points in like the last 10 years. Uh, but so, but, but if you look at the roster, you know, going into the year, you thought, well, Gustav had a chance Hughes, Ishir, Hall, Palmieri, there, there was a bunch of guys. Um, so that was the thing. So, so John Hines lost a bunch of games at the beginning of the year and the fan base was kind of over him already before that anyway. But the, the best thing that maybe the best thing that he did for the team this season was right before he got fired, he put Nikita Gusev on a line with say Jack and Coleman. And at first it was like, wait a minute, this guy's supposed to be one of your best players. Why are you playing him on your quote unquote third line? But the thing is, is that like the line that Travis Zajac has centered over the last three years has like, if we write it down as the third line on paper, People think it's the third line, but it's really been the second line in terms of how much it plays and how they play all the tough minutes. And so anyway, so Zajac and Coleman basically did all the dirty work and the defensive stuff. And that sort of gave uh, Gusev a chance. Like basically the biggest problem that he had the first 15 or 20 games was he spent the whole game not touching the puck. And that's not really his game. I mean, they were, his lines were getting caved in and it was, and he, there, there's not a whole lot. He's not, it's not that he's a terrible defensive player, but he's just not the guy who's going to go back and, like he he's good positionally and he'll like, you know, he tries, but he's not the guy who's going to go take the puck off of a team whenever they're cycling in the corner for 30 seconds. So, you know, he had a long stretch with, with say Jack and Coleman where he played really well. And those two guys played well with him and it was like, okay, we found, you know, he's, he's got a line. The thing that, I mean, to me, the most encouraging thing is that they traded Coleman and they had to find a new place for him. So they put him with Brat and Zaka and he played just as well on that line too. Now there's, there's a caveat there. they, the team shot like 15% when those guys were on the ice in those 10 games, which is not going to happen ever again. But, <laughs> but the fact is, is that they were productive and they were, they did make some highlight real plays and they just looked like they had a lot of chemistry. And so I don't know if that line is necessarily going to stay together forever uh, because Brett and Gusev are two of the team's three best wings. And you would think that uh, they probably need to play with Heashier or Hughes. But uh, I do think that, uh, as they're trying to figure out over the next couple of years who is going to play with Nico and who is going to play with Jack long term, uh, it might make some sense to have Brett and Gusev as say as the two guys for with Heishier, who's kind of a all the all the Zajac, Zaka Heishier, the common denominator there is they're all really good defensive centers. Right. So I do think that if you found a defensive center, a guy who plays well defensively at center but is also skilled like Heishier, that could be the guy that of ends up with and like you said maybe 60 who knows something in the I, I, I remember thinking that like if he, if he could just be Evgeny Dadnoff uh you know people wanted to compare him to Panarin because they had similar numbers in the KHL but if he if he's just Dadnoff who in his own right is a really good player I mean he's averaged like 
27 goals and 60 points or 62 points over the last couple of years that they would really be very happy with that. Yeah, for sure. Though the one thing with Dadanov is he got to play with Barkov on the top line in the top power play. So right. like what you're saying sounds very exciting. If Gusev could be playing with Hishir and also stick on the top power play, because it looks like he was pretty successful on the power play when he was there. Like I'm looking just at the end of the season and you look at the game log and there was like a two power play point game, like two straight two power play point games in a row at the end of February, then a couple more power play points in March. Like once he got up there, it seemed like he was effective but it, it seemed like he had trouble holding the spot. Though I remember Blake Coleman was there for a while, and obviously he won't compete. Right. I mean, I think the biggest thing for him on the power play is like by the end of training camp, there were guys on that team that have played in the league for a long time that were like, this guy is the best passer I've ever played with. And, and that was, they just, everyone just sort of assumed that he was going to fit right in on the power play and just start, you know, dishing out, you know, tap-ins for guys left and right. The problem was that him and Taylor Hall played the same spot. And there really wasn't uh, a way to, even though they're one's a lefty and one's a righty, Taylor loves playing on the left side of that power play. And that's, I mean, Gusev being like the classic Russian, like Ovechkin, Kovalchuk, all those guys who are like, they want to be the, you know, the righty on the left side of that. So as long as Taylor was there, there wasn't really a spot for him. Um, I, I do think that, you know, depending on who they add and whatever happens, like going into next season, it makes the most sense to have, Gusev on the left side. If they do a one-three-one, to have Gusev on the left side and Jack Hughes on the right side, and then Palmieri kind of in the middle to you know to maybe bang home some one-timers for, from from Jack. The way that some, a lot of teams run run their one-three-one, um, and then yeah, I mean Nico Hischer is not a big guy. He's not like the big classic Brian Boyle stand in front of the net guy. But whenever they put him in front of the net, he it sort of opens up like passing the puck behind the net and having another playmaker out there, which was like a totally different thing than one they had done a couple of years ago when they were actually successful. So I do think that they have, I mean, they've got four different defensemen that they use and they can't figure out which guy is the best guy to run the, the top of it. But I think those other four guys all sort of fit together if they get things right, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Those are the names I would expect to be up there. And obviously, I want to ask you about this defenseman on the top power play, because that's always been a big question with the Devils like for a while. But I guess let's go and talk about Nico Hishir, who you've brought up. He's, I guess, right now the star on the team. We thought maybe when Jack Hughes got drafted, that Hughes would like, how long would it be before Hughes overtakes Hishir as the top line center? Obviously, this didn't happen last season. And Hishir now a first overall pick in his own right in 2017. He had that strong 52-point rookie season as an 18-year-old, which was super impressive, though, of course, a lot of that came playing with Taylor Hall, so it was hard to know like how much credit to give Hishir. But then he followed it up with a very impressive sophomore season with 47 points in 69 games. That's a 56-point pace, though the production, again, really did slow down in the second half with Hall on the shelf. And then this year, no Taylor Hall. Well, actually, no, he did have Taylor Hall for a little bit. And he sure also had a tough year because he missed some stretches with illness in, in December. And then he had a lower body injury in February. At the end of the day, another like 50 to 55 point pace was like 36 points in 58 games. So it sounds from what you're saying, like the Devils are super high on Heeshear at this point. They're happy with him. They're considering him as the top player and plays really well defensively. Do you think that's kind of his role at this point to be like a solid player who will keep the play with the devils having the puck and and be strong defensively or do you think that he has like this offensive upside to be more than a 50 55 point guy which he's been for his first three seasons yeah I mean I think it's certainly possible that he'll get he'll get better I mean I don't think it's gonna be I mean I would be surprised if he ever scores you know 94 points in a season but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he turns into you know, what not, I'm just thinking, I know I remember Jonathan Taves specifically had a 94 point season, but he had a bunch of other seasons where he had 69, 75, 78, whatever. And he was, you know, a, a, a Selkie candidate. And I do, I mean, from his rookie year on people inside and outside the organization have been like, he sort of got that label, like the way that Sean Couturier had it for years before he finally is now actually in the conversation, like someday he's going to be in the Selkie conversation. And, and so guys get that tagged on them. And then, we don't know if it's actually going to happen for five or six years uh, or not, but he is the, he, they, people do think he's that caliber of center. Um, so whether or not, you know, his ceiling is like something close to Taves or Bergeron or Barkoff or those guys, or if it's actually a little bit below that, that's still, you know, I mean, Chicago, like if he's Sean Couturier, that's still a great player. And um, you know, like it, that, I mean, he could be the number one center on a good team, or he could be the number two center on a great team. And I think that's, you know, if, if you were like kind of looking down the, like, I think next season he's going to be the number one center and that's, you know, he's going to play the most and all that. But I, if you look five years down the road, then, you know, 
the the best chance for this team to be like you know in the Stanley Cup final is going to be uh, with is, is if Jack is you know what people thought he might be before he was drafted. So right. that would be you know him being the number one you know eighty five to hundred point guy, and then and then Nico being the the guy who takes care of the you know takes care of the other team's top center on defense and also pitches in you know sixty eight to seventy points or whatever. On the I mean that's really I mean they you know I don't if you look around the league, there aren't that many teams that have a one, two punch at center like they have, but they're just like four or five years from now, like right now they're not among the best one, two punches, but as in terms of like who's set up for 2025, you have to like what they have. It's just, is are they going to be Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin or are they going to be like something a little bit below that? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And it's hard to remember, like, Hishir is super young. Like, he's already had three seasons, but he's still only 21 years old. So it's hard to just say, okay, I guess that we've seen his max capacity. And like you say, maybe he's not going to be a 94-point guy. But I do like the idea that he could become like a 60-65 point guy even if he becomes the second line center behind Jack Hughes of course Jack Hughes has some room to grow obviously not a great rookie season for him I was taking a look at some of the previous first overall picks and basically every single person since Patrick Stefan in 1999-2000 like every forward that's been taken first overall has paced for at least 50 points and that even includes Neil Yakupov who I, I saw had 31 points in 48 games for a 52 point pace in his rookie season. But unfortunately, uh, Jack Hughes, the guy who like, I'm not even a prospect person. I had heard his name for a while before he got drafted. People were talking about lose for Hughes and teams vying to get him. The devil's got this guy. Everyone was super excited. And then he, pulled uh, Patrick Stefan in his rookie season. Hughes also only had uh, 21 points in 61 games for a 28-point pace. Though, of course, like before Patrick Stefan, there were two other first overall picks that had weak rookie seasons in Joe Thornton and Vincent LeCavalier, and they both turned out to be just fine. So I'm curious, like, what's your current take? Obviously, it's super early, but like when looking at Hughes's rookie season, is there any concern that he may fall into that Stefan category? Or are you still like as confident as ever that he's going to be a big star in the league? Yeah, I think he's still going to be a big star. I mean, there, there's like, I mean, once we've once we got like let's say thirty or forty points, or thirty or forty games into the season, it was pretty clear that unless there was just some sort of light switch that went on, and like, uh, you know, maybe it was just sort of a, a shooting percentage bender or something, something like kind of fluky or lucky that was going to happen. It, it was we we knew we kind of knew that this was in this was going to be a long year for him. Um, it you know, I mean, look, part of it is. Uh, the team did not. The team didn't have enough scores around him, and he was setting people up for passes and, and chances that were just not going in at the at the rate that they should have. So, and then he also, I mean, he hit four or five posts, and so that you add all that stuff up, and if look, if he ended the season with thirty two points instead of twenty one, it would maybe be a, bit, a little bit different. But to me, the bigger the bigger thing is at about the halfway point of the season, it was like, okay, so this kid is not going to get sixty points like the average of all the first round picks over the last twenty years have. So like the more you talk to people around the team and from other teams and, you know, people that played against them, whatever, like just, is there anything in here that people are worried about? Like, is it, it, is it like, Oh man, this kid is just not as good as we thought. And I, no one said that. Like there was never like a, Oh crap, this kid is, this kid is not, he's just, he shouldn't have gone first. Like I don't, I, I can't, I'd be surprised if there was anybody out there who would say, if the, if you did that entire draft over again today, that Jack wouldn't go first again. I mean, there, part of it was the guys that went second and third right after him also played in the league and also didn't do very well either. It was just a weird, a weird year for the top, the top three guys. But I do think that like you can look at guys like, uh, like Thornton and the Cavalier, if you go all the way back, but even guys like Ryan Johansson and Tyler Sagan, who were not the first pick, but pretty high up there and also had pretty light scoring years in their first year. I mean, he, he's, yeah, he's an incredibly, well, incredibly unique is, is redundant. He's a unique player in that he was the first guy to ever come straight from the program. And he's also a, like, he's, he's not, he's, he's pretty skinny. So, so, I mean, he was, he, I mean, he's about the same size that Patrick Kane was whenever he came into the league and Kane had a better first year, but he also played on the wing and had a guy like Jonathan Taves to play with. And their team was, was better there his first year than, than Jack's team was. So I don't think, first off, I, I think he's better than, than, than what he than what we saw this first year anyway. But secondly, I mean the things that people always talk about him is that he's got this crazy work ethic and and the talent and skill to match it. But also he's just in this environment where like 
man, if you were, if you were going to take a, a 18 year old hockey player and say, look, we need this kid to get bigger and stronger. And then he's got the, all the other stuff, then it'll all work out. How do we make that work? Well, I mean, his dad has spent his entire career as an assistant coach or in player development. Um, his, he's got an older brother who's already in the NHL and is a star. He's got a younger brother who's coming. That's, that's going to be a top 10 pick. He's like the, the brothers are like best friends with all of these other great young hockey players, like the Kachuk brothers and Josh Norris and Alex Turcott and Cole Caulfield. And so they're all going to work out together this summer. And it just seems like, I mean, they're, everything is just set up for it. Maybe it doesn't happen immediately next season. Maybe it takes a little more year because his body needs more time to mature, but I, I can't imagine it would be, it would be legitimately stunning to me between now. And like, if you say he's 21 or 22 years old, if he's not like a great player in this league. Yeah. Well, that's good to know that he's known for his work ethic. So like you say, if he just needs to kind of work out and get, and get stronger and that'll make a huge difference, then that's obviously something that's in his control. And I'm definitely gonna have to uh, go back and write down who's friends with who here. Cause we've been trying to keep a diagram on the podcast of who all the friends are. So now yeah. we could add Jack Hughes to the Kachucks. And I think we had, yeah, Brady Kachuk as friends with Josh Norris and okay. It all, it all pieces together. Yeah, those guys, like, I mean, the Kachucks were, I mean, they're close enough that like, I, whenever I went on the, on draft day, like Jack went back and, you know, went up to the stage and went, went back with all the devils and doing all the photos and stuff. I went over to, to where they were sitting to talk to the parents. And like one of the Kachuk brothers was sitting in his seat. Like the, so like they're, they're like that close. <laughs> like there, there were, there were no Kachuk brothers being drafted in Vancouver, but they were there for Jack. So. That's nice. <laughs> and I think Matthew was, uh, I think either Matthew or Brady was announcing the pick for, for their team that too, but regardless. Yeah. So. They're tight. <laughs> I see your article on the athletic, like talking about Jack Hughes recently and about like the tough season he had. And it's like crazy when you see this list of all the like stuff he had to go through as a rookie, like the coach is fired. The GM is fired. Right. Taylor Hall's traded Corey Schneider, who was apparently his friend you're saying, and he gets sent to the AHL. So yeah, obviously a lot of extenuating circumstances. I'm really excited to see. I, I saw that Hughes played uh, on the wing for a bit near the end of the season. Do you think that's something that could carry forward to next year? No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, I really think, I mean, they think he's a center. It, it was the biggest thing was after they had traded Hall and Coleman and Simmons, um, they were sort of running out of good players and they really just wanted him to, after he spent the first, whatever it was, 40 or so games playing, they wanted him to play with Simmons. And at times they played him with Miles Wood because they wanted a bigger guy just to make sure that people weren't taking runs at him or whatever. But um, I think at that point they were just like, look, you know, he's, he's played 40 or so games at center at the NHL. He's seen what that looks like. Let's just put him with Heischer and Paul Mary. They're the two best players we got. Maybe they'll start putting in some of his passes and he'll get some extra confidence from that. So that, I think that was pretty much it. I mean, they look, they could win the lottery and draft Quentin Byfield and maybe that changes the future projection of where everybody plays. But I, I, I do think that he's going to be a center for them in the long term. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That's what everyone thought when he got drafted. So we were talking about Gusev and you were saying that maybe a good situation could be Gusev with Brat on the Hishir line and that would leave Jack Hughes to center maybe Kyle Palmieri. And I want to bring up Palmieri because I was talking about how Nico Hishir has been a consistent 50 to 55 point guy for the Devils in his first three years on the team. But Palmieri is another guy who's been like the definition of consistency. Uh, he's 29 years old now. He's played five seasons for the Devils. And each of those seasons, he's paced for around 30 goals and between 54 and 58 points. And this past season, he was actually on track to do even better for his first time. He was having a career year with New Jersey. He had 43 points through his first 58 games. That was like a 61-point base. So not like so much better. But then he went quiet right at the end because I guess that's what Palmieri does. He needs to fall within that 54 to 58 point range uh do you see any reason to expect things to go any differently next year or should we just assume you know it's going to be another year of kyle palmary putting up 55 to 60 points he's going to be on the top line top power player maybe second line but like nothing too much is going to change yeah i think so i mean so one of the things with this team i mean besides the fact that they're the only team in the league that doesn't have a full-time gm right now and they don't have a full-time coach either they i mean they've just traded Hall and Coleman, who were two of their best players. Uh, and now going into next season, Palmieri and Gusev are at the last year of their deal and are going to be unrestricted free agents. Okay. And they're kind of in the same spot with them. Like they're, they're both going to be 29 or 30 when the new contract starts. And it's just sort of the same, it's the same deal. Like, do they, are they ready to win? Are they going to be ready to win early enough 
to justify giving those guys big money and a long-term contract. And so that's sort of, that's sort of a thing that's, that's hanging over the season. I mean, I think it's, I think most of the Devils fans assume that Palmieri is going to sign because he's a local kid. He like he went to St. Peter's High School or St. Peter's Prep, which is right down the road from the arena, and he played on the Junior Devils. And but um, I mean, they, they could be the same situation they, if they start the season bad next year, and it looks like they're still multiple seasons away from winning. It's entirely possible that he gets traded like like Hall did. But to to your point, though, he I mean, he is you know, about as consistent and underrated a goal scorer in the league as there is. I mean, especially for the money that he's made while he's been there, it's just slightly over four and a half million, um, which I mean, he's, he's probably going to get 7 million on his next contract. Uh, so yeah, no, he's, if he does stay, look, he, he's basically going to become, it's, there's a, there's a path to him being the second highest goal scorer in the, in franchise history, uh, or th- I'm sorry, third highest goal scorer in franchise history behind Patrick Elias and John McClain, like within a couple of seasons. So that he's he's if he does stick around he's going to be sort of an all-time devil in terms of goals and points and whatnot um it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to keep him long term or not i guess kovalchuk would have been on track for that if he didn't leave yeah hall too i mean they're, they're, they've had some guys they, i mean you could you could put down a list of 20 players i mean they had uh doug gilmore for a bit they had dave andrew for a bit they had joe newendike for a bit they've you know they've had a bunch of uh, a bunch of great players for a short amount of time and really only patrick Eliash is the only forward who's uh, been a great player for a long time for them. Yeah, I guess we'll see if Kyle Palmieri follows suit or not. Like, I I do agree that he is underrated. Like, I feel like in terms of fantasy hockey, like, he usually gets drafted pretty late, even though he's good for goals. Like, he takes a decent number of shots. He throws a lot of hits. Like, he sort of does all the things that you'd want. And on his team, it seems like he's obviously tr- trusted with really strong deployment. So I'm surprised that he doesn't get much play every year. But I guess maybe that'll be good for the Devils. Maybe then they'll be able to sign him for cheaper if the other teams don't realize how good he is. Maybe. I mean, I just, I had looked it up like a few days ago and, you know, he, he has, I'm not actually looking at the chart right now. He has 132 goals in the last five years. Um, James Van, Van Riemsdyk has 125. He's making 7 million a year. Right. Evander Kane has 133. He's making 7 million a year. Max Pacioretty has 136. He's, I mean, it's, uh, there's a list of six comparable guys in the chart and four of the six are making 7 million a year. Exactly. So I think that's the, I mean, it, I, basically, I think you look at it like if he signs with the Devils before July 1st of next year and they get him for less than seven, they did a good job. Uh, unless it ends up being like the TJ the Oshie contract, which is eight years and a little under six. But that eight years is going to be a problem soon. So, I mean, I think if they get him signed for four or five years at something slightly under seven million, that's a good win for them. But he could definitely get five and 35 on the open market for sure. So it'll be interesting to see, like you said, if maybe his roots in New Jersey will be a reason for him to want to stay. Uh, okay. So I guess I said, I wanted to talk about the defense. I guess now's a good time. Uh, and yet another player that we were super excited about going into the year was PK Subban. Of course, he had that elite start to his career in Montreal and was pacing for 50 plus points in his first couple seasons with Nashville. And then he took a big step back in 2018-19 with Nashville, only 31 points in 63 games. It's like a 40 point pace. He had, uh, I think, back injuries to deal with. And, but, you know, Brian and I, who hosts podcasts, like we noticed that Subban was seeing like his lowest time on ice of his career on average that season with Nashville. He was only seeing 22 minutes and 40 seconds per game. He was also getting less power play time than he was used to. So, like, we figured that, oh, now he's going to New Jersey, who clearly need a top pairing you know top power play defenseman so this is going to be just what the doctor ordered for Subban to like say goodbye to the 40 point paces and get back to the 50 plus point PK Subban that we've grown to know and love but clearly that's not how things shook out like we did say goodbye to 40 point Subban but instead welcome like around 20 point PK Subban like he completely fell off 18 points in 68 games and his ice time didn't go up it went down yet again and he only lasted on the top power play for like six games before Sammy Vatanen took over and then even when Vatanen got injured and then was traded to Carolina it was Damon Severson who took over on the top power play so overall the season was a huge disappointment I did notice that right at the end Subban had a strong finish for assists in his final five games and he did seem to be on the top power play and be getting a lot of ice time just like right at the end there but you know forgetting about the end to start like what do you think happened to Subban this season like was he not the player that the Devils thought they were trading for or was it that they didn't plan on using him in that type of capacity no I think they definitely wanted him to be I don't, I don't think they necessarily expected him to be like Norris Trophy candidate PK Subban but they definitely needed him to be 
number one defenseman on this team candidate. And that just didn't really, it didn't, he didn't, he didn't separate himself enough from, from Patton and receivers and to ever be like, Oh yeah, this is the number one defenseman on the team. Um, You're right. They, he played the first six games on the power play. They didn't score a power play goal. They didn't win a game. And then that was when they made a bunch of changes. They Tom Fitzgerald came down and became like a fourth assistant coach and they switched the power play all up. And, um, and then he didn't get back for a long time. And it was, the pro- one of the the ancillary problems that the Devils had this year, not on the first line or second line of problems, but in there, is that the second power play unit didn't score a goal for like 50 games. It was it was crazy. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Um, and so every everything was coming from the first unit. And so those guys that were on the second unit were just it was just you know 30 or 40 seconds of nothing great happening and no score, no goals. And so I think. It's hard to say exactly what to expect from him next year. He has two more years on his deal. Like him and Wayne Simmons were both in a similar situation, not just because they came from Nashville, but they were both injured last year and both said, hey, I'm healthy now. I'm going to be better. And then they weren't. So it's is it a matter of the fact that they're both on the wrong side of 30 now, or was it just a blip because of a number of different things with playing with the Devils? It's hard to say. I mean, he the team did have a lot of bad luck when he was on the ice the first say 20 or 30 games of the year where he should have had more points than he had, but not to the point where it was like, Oh yeah, this, you know, they had like a 55% course even and just weren't scoring. It wasn't that, but I think there's room for some improvement next year. I think just being settled, maybe, maybe this extra long break. I mean, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I mean, the devils might go like, I don't like eight months, seven months, eight months without playing a game, depending on how, how late next season gets started. So, I mean, maybe that's something that helps guys like, Subban and Zajac, the older guys, maybe the a longer a longer offseason this year gives them they have a little more gas in the tank at the beginning of next year. But um yeah, I, I don't I mean I I I mean it will it wouldn't be like the most shocking thing in the world if he if he just came back and had one more like vintage Subban season, but I think if they're just preparing for him to be like a solid number two or number three guy for them, they'd be happy with that. Oh wow. So they're even just happy with him to be like a number three guy on the team. At this point, well, maybe let's let's say like maybe not a solid number three on this team in particular, but just like what a guy you know if he look if he can play twenty two minutes a night and and he puts up you know thirty five or forty point forty points, I think they'd be they'd be happy with that. Okay, yeah, that would definitely be better than what he did this past season. Do you think like the should I read anything into the fact that right before the season got paused, he had like a two games where he saw twenty six minutes and then twenty seven minutes, and he had a power play assist in each of those games. He was back on the top power play. Is that a clue that he's the front runner to be quarterbacking the top power play in eight months? Like you said, like the next time the Devils play a game, that's that's a tough one. I, I mean. It's weird. They've, gosh, when when the power play was really rolling the year they made the playoffs, it was Will Butcher. Like he was, they started I, using they started using drop passes to get into the zone, and it was uh, much to. I mean, the fans hate it. I don't. I I did a big long story about why they were better. Like every all the numbers were better when they did drop passes versus when they didn't. But still, people hate it because that one time that it doesn't work sticks with people for weeks. But anyway, um, you know, that was a, that's like his thing. Like he, he's not a great skater. He's not a great shooter, but he is a good passer and he's super smart. And he's just, he kind of looks like an option quarterback whenever he's out there like faking dudes out and doing different, like all the different options that you have instead of just doing the same drop pass over and over and over again. So when he was running it, it was clicking and it was working. And then he, they've never been able to find that again over the last two years. Like they've given him opportunities and he hasn't really been the same guy on the power play. So they've tried, they had Subban, they've tried Severson, they've tried Batten. Um, I mean, Ty Smith is coming. I think Ty Smith is probably, you know, unless they add some great number one defenseman over the next couple of years, I would think that Ty Smith is going to be the long-term guy on the power play, but, but that's still to be determined. So, I mean, going into next season, it could, it could literally be any of those guys. I don't know. I mean, we it could, they could, the devils could bring in a new coach and have a completely different power play system too. So that that's also a possibility, but I mean, I think, you know, I think as long as PK is there, he's going to at least be in the mix and at least be, uh, you know, if he's not the number one guy, maybe the number two guy. 
Right. Yeah. Will Butcher. I, I forgot about him already. Yeah. There was like a couple seasons in a row where he was mainly the guy quarterback in the top power play and, you know, would once in a while get a power play assist. And aside from that, like, you know, no shots or, or anything like that. But yeah, this past season, especially at the end, it seems like he wasn't being used there at all. Do, do you think, by the way, speaking of the coaching, like is Nazardine an option to stay as the coach since the Devils had a really strong finish to the season? Or do you think they're planning on bringing in someone else? I think let's put it this way. I, if you were if you were setting odds or a percentage of, of whether or not he's going to get the job, the, I think the percentage is lower than Fitzgerald getting the GM job. Like I think, I think pretty generally, I would have said that go, going in at the day of the pause or the day of the shutdown or whatever, I thought that Fitzgerald had a pretty good chance of being the GM, and I thought Nazarene had a decent chance of being the coach. And the longer the, the shutdown has gone on, I think the the percentage of a chance that Fitzgerald is going to be the guy goes up because. To me, that's like the one job in the entire organization where I would not want to hire somebody off of a Zoom call. I just that's just me. I would not want to be like, yes, come in and run my organization and be the day to day leader of everything. But I've never actually met you in person. That, that just seems weird to me. So, if unless they really want to wait until all of this stuff is over and they don't want to hire a GM until August or September, and actually do in person interviews, um, I do think that Fitzgerald is going to be the GM. And and he's you know he's done as much as he can or all that he can to to show that he deserves it. Now the coaching thing is different because like guys like Gerard Gallant and Bruce Boudreau and Peter Laviolette have like years and years of experience in the NHL. And you kind of know what those guys are. And it's pretty easy to figure out what those guys are versus hiring a GM. Like, I don't even know, like a, like a Judd Brackett from the Canucks or Mike Futa from those Kings, somebody who's never been the GM before that. That's a, that's a much bigger pill to swallow to me. So I, I think they could, um, you know, like it's already been reported that they've interviewed Gallant and they've interviewed a couple of other coaches. Um, I don't know that, I mean, first off, like one of those guys like Gallant or Boudreaux has to take the job or be willing to take the job knowing that they might not win for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I mean, I do think, look, they, like the players all really like Nazardine. He's been there for a long time. They played hard for him. Um, he's got, you know, he's worked with Tom Fitzgerald for years and years. So if Fitzgerald is named the GM, I think he's got a decent chance to still be the coach. But it's just it's a little different than the GM job because there are so many good candidates available. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If they can get someone like Boudreaux to come and join the team, like it's hard to say no to that. Though okay, so I guess I'll just land on first Suban. Like maybe if Nazardine stays as the coach to start the year, I'll be more excited about him if it's a new coach. And I guess all things are back to square one. But you brought up Ty Smith, and I definitely wanted to bring him up. This guy's had amazing numbers in the WHL. Like as a defenseman over the past three seasons, he's been getting over a point per game for the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, do we expect that Ty Smith, maybe not to take over as like the top power play defenseman, but do we expect that next season he'll get a shot to make the Devils and start the season in the big club? Yeah, I mean, I think he'll get a chance. Um, I mean, he had a chance this year and didn't wasn't ready. Um, people just sort of expect that he would be because he had a great camp two years ago and almost made the team when nobody expected him to. And then all the expectations were on this year and he just, he just wasn't ready. Um, but he did like, look, he went back to the WHL and got off to a bit of a slow start. Um, he had a new coach there. They moved him around a little bit. Um, I don't think he was necessarily comfortable with all that, but like he went to the world juniors and played well. And then from the world junior, the, after the world juniors on, I mean, he was, arguably the best player in the country maybe and in and, and Canadian hockey. I mean, he was some of the, the numbers that he put up in the last 20 or 25 games were insane. I mean, he had an eight point game, which <laughs> that'll do it. Uh, but also the other games that he played too, it was just, he was, he was on fire. Um, I mean, he is, you know, I mean the guy, the guy who was his coach also coached Damon Steverson and a handful of other NHL players and juniors. And he was just like, look, he's, you know, he's the best power play guy we've ever had. Uh, you know, he's, he's that kind of guy. And so, um, you know, I do think that eventually he will run an NHL power play and do it very well. Um, I do think that the devils have maybe sort of seen a light here a little bit with like, look, they played Nico at 17, they or at 18, they played Jack at 18. They almost brought Ty up at 18. I think they've realized that like they were, I don't want to say they were in a hurry to complete the the rebuild, but it had been, I mean, it's been a long time and it hasn't, they had to come from so far that it took, it does, it does feel like it's taken a long time. So, but I do think that they've gotten to a point now, especially the fact that they've changed general managers, the sort of pressure to, okay, we're done rebuilding. Let's win now is, is, has been 
let off a little bit. So I, I do think that if – I think there's even a chance that they, they get to the end of training camp and they say, look, we could probably play, bring Ty up right now and he could be our fifth defenseman, but we think he can be better than that. So let's let him play in Hurt, or Binghamton for 40 games and then see where he's at then. So, that, I mean, it's, it's possible. I, I think he'll play in the NHL next year one way or another. It might not be 82 games, but it'll, it might be 20 or 30. And then by two or three years from now, I think he's going to be a really good player. It's exciting. And I guess he's a guy to keep in mind if he doesn't make the team and then he does get called up at some point, people should keep in mind that this is someone who could come up and then all of a sudden be quarterback in the top power play and being used in, in this offensive way. So yeah, definitely a name that people should be very familiar with for next season. Uh, I guess I should finish off now with the goaltending. You brought up Corey Schneider and how he struggled at the start of the year and how Mackenzie Blackwood was so amazing at the end of the year. So yeah, I, I took a look between November 28th and January 9th when Mackenzie Blackwood suffered that concussion versus the Rangers. Like Between that stretch, he played in 16 of 18 Devils games. So clearly after that Schneider rough start, Mackenzie Blackwood was just used as like a high volume, basically playing every game type of goalie. And then when he came back from that injury, he played 13 more games on the year before the pause. And he was looking like a stud. Like you said, he went 8-2-2 two, two with a 9.36 save percentage. And now he's played in stretches over two seasons in the NHL. He has a 9.16 save percentage in 60 games on a not especially strong Devils team. So... I, I've got to ask at this point, like, it, it, it seems like Mackenzie Blackwood is for real. Like, could be a really strong goalie in the league. He wasn't really on our radars before, you know, a couple seasons ago. He was picked 42nd overall way back in 2015. Didn't look especially great in the AHL with Binghamton, at least according to his numbers, but he's been crushing it in the big league so far. So do you think Blackwood is, like, the future for the Devils and is the guy that's earmarked to be the starting goalie for like, years to come? Uh, yes, until he's not. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... Like, like he does, you're right. He's, he's gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, where it's last year, it was, you know, just a handful of games. Now this year it's, it's more games. Um, and we've seen though with goalies, like it's, it's going to be, you know, he's going to be 150 games into his career. And the first bad stretch he has, people are going to be like, well, maybe he's not that, but I, I mean, to me, the thing with him is he's huge and he's even in a position where guys are good athletes. Now he is, above and beyond he is like the level of athlete that other professional athletes go oh wow look at him or oh wow like he so I do think that there's that like he just has the athleticism to make first off he he can make mistakes and, and cover up for them and second off he basically he did not start as a goalie until he was like 12 and he didn't really have any like full time instruction until he was like 14 or 15 and so like I'm not, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but it's easy to see a narrative where three or four years from now, everyone is writing about how Mackenzie Blackwood is this great goalie. And it was, it was always there to see. It was just that he was the great athlete first and he became a technical goalie second. And that's sort of what that started this year. Like he just, he looked whenever, whenever he's playing well, it just looks right. Like he just, he's, he's, he gets like, he's big enough and he's quick enough that he doesn't have to like flop around to make great saves. He just sort of, gets kind of compact and in his, in his spot and, and he just gets to the right place. And then whenever he needs to like kick his right or let, you know, like the flipper out, you know, uh, to make a big save, he does it. But I just think that like some of the stuff that he did this year, like you said, he played way more. I mean, they wanted him to play like 30 games this year. They wanted like, it to be like a 50, 30 split. They were and, thinking like Schneider would still yeah, be yeah, yeah, able yeah. to do it. 50 for Schneider and 30 for, or like, I think even John Hines might've said 55, 27 at one point. Um, and then they just realized after five or six games that they weren't going to be able to rely on Corey and they traded for Louis Domingue and they played him for a few games and realized they weren't going to be able to rely on him. So yeah, there was a point where it was like, Mac, we're playing you until you tell us you can't play. And so he did that. And by the end of it, he was gassed and they, he needed a break. And if anything, the, like you said, the concussion, he like took a shot off the mask, lost a bunch of teeth he was lucky that the concussion wasn't very bad and he didn't really miss that much time, but he needed the break. So they brought him back and they played him every other game after that. And, and he just, I mean, he looks, he certainly has the potential to be a great NHL goalie. And at the minimum, I think he's going to be an average starter, which if they just had, they haven't had an average starter for a while. They had, they had Corey Schneider, whenever they first traded for him, he was great on a bad team. And then the last basically three years, it's been pretty hot or cold. So I think if they if he just settled in as a nine fifteen guy for the next several years, they'd be ecstatic. But but there is potential for more than that. 
Yeah, but even that is tough to find right now. The save percentages around the league have been going down. It's very interesting, this narrative that, you know, he's still maybe not learning to be a goalie, but you're saying like, you know, he developed later, but he's always been a great athlete. So that's maybe why he didn't have this huge pedigree coming up. He's a pending RFA going into next season. Do you see the Devils extending Blackwood for like a big long-term contract or or more of a bridge deal? I think it'll be more of a bridge deal. Um, I mean, just in general, I, I don't, I mean, I know Andre Vasilevsky and Kerry Price got huge deals, but those guys were like, you know, either winning the Vesna Trophy or right there at that point. And, and, and McKenzie's not there yet. I mean, they, they have – Schneider has two more years left on his deal at a big money. So, I mean, it certainly I think it makes sense to, to sign him to a two- or three-year deal. And then, you know, at the end of it, if he really is as good as he can be, then maybe he gets a big deal after that. But I think there's still – there's enough wiggle room for them to, like – they don't need to sign him to a seven-year contract this year and then have it turn out that he just doesn't reach his potential. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. If, if they don't need to, then why do it? Uh, I guess if, since we were talking about Corey Schneider, do you think he still has anything left and he could back up Blackwood next season? Like back at the start of 2018-19, it looked like that hip injury had really like changed Schneider for good. Like he started off losing every start. He had like a year without winning a game until February 15th of last year. Uh, but then after that, he picked up his first win in forever. And then he actually had a strong end to that 2018-19 season. He went 6-6-1 six, six, and one with a 9.27 save percentage over the last few games. Uh, and this was uh, you know, another reason, by the way, I was hopeful about the Devils going to the season. I was like, oh, maybe Corey Schneider is back to being the old Corey Schneider. But like you said, he was brutal to start the season. And then like the impossible happened. I think like at one point we speculated about it on the podcast. Like, I wonder if the Devils would just wave Corey Schneider. I was like, no, they would never do that. But it happened. He got sent to the minors. But then he came back and he actually finished the season with four strong starts uh, right at the end. But I feel like it would be like a fool me twice, shame on me situation. Like if I think that this is a sign that maybe the old Schneider could be back. But it sounds like you're thinking that the Devils are hoping they could still have him as at least a backup for a couple more years. Well, yeah, he, so he's, you're right. He's, he sort of followed the same pattern in the last two years. Um, I mean, it's, it's like his ability to be a good NHL goalie is still in there, obviously. Like he shows it like in very small doses. Um, I don't look at, I, I think I said this before, but like if the devils were in the position to win the Stanley cup next season or, or think they were very close to it, they would buy him out the summer. It would, it would just, it would be the most logical thing to do. they, it would save them four million in cap space next year. They would probably need it because they'd probably be they'd feel like they're one player away or something, um, and they just wouldn't be able to trust him to play thirty or thirty five games for a, a cup contender. But they're not. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. If you if they keep him for another season, he's only got one year left on the deal, and that that becomes much easier to trade if necessary. If they if if he, they keep him this year and it just doesn't work out, they could eat half the money next year and just trade him you know, and they wouldn't have the, the, the extra cap money, the dead money from the buyout, which would last for four years. So, uh, and then there's also the expansion draft, which also gives them another sort of out if uh, possibly, if they would work out a deal with the Seattle team to trade to, for them to trade for them or something like that. So I do think one, like I said, to just financially, like they're not going to be up against the cap and they don't need the space. So it, but they might need that space in three or four years when they are good. So that that's one reason to not do it. I think the other reason is just like, again, if you're, if you don't think they're going to be a great team next year, they're like, I'm not a big fan of like quote unquote paying for leadership necessarily, but he is a rare, like the only other goalie that I've really remember people thinking of as like being the leader of the team was Luongo and the Canucks actually gave him the C for a while. Um, and he has that, like, he just, the guys, like, they, the, they really do follow him. I mean, and besides the fact that like Mackenzie Blackwood thinks he's like his second father and, and think has like gives him credit for everything that he's been able to do over the last two years. Um, there is just something about Corey. Like he, I mean, not only at the NHL level, like they sent him to the minors and he like basically led this players only meeting with Binghamton and told them all these things that they needed to hear apparently because they went and rattled off, 27 wins in 35 games or whatever it was right after that. Um, so like there, there's definitely like, it's hard to quantify any of those intangible type of things, but he's definitely got that. And it's worth something. I don't, it's, I, it's not necessarily worth paying him $6 million to be a bad goalie, but it's worth like giving him maybe one more chance to see if he can at least just be like a average or slightly below average instead of bad. And if he's just average or around there, 
they could work with that because you know you, you only need them to play 25 or 30 games next year. So I, I look, I definitely don't think they're going to go into training camp with just him and McKenzie, and this is this is it. Like I do think they'll probably try to add another veteran goalie to compete with him or push him or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, it's possible that they'll buy him out, but it's, it's not a slam dunk. Like I would have thought it was say in like November. Right. And I guess he had that strong finish and maybe now that he's going into the season, not expected to start 55 games. Like you say, if they flip it and now they're expecting Blackwood to play 55 and then Schneider to play 20 something, maybe he will be able to handle that and, and be at least average. Cause obviously there's a big difference between playing day in day out and, and being a backup goalie. Yeah. I mean, look, if, they, if he could just, if he just hovers around 900, like they haven't had a backup goalie finish around 900 in, in, in two years. So like they're like, they've literally had, you know, they've had a guy, whoever the number two person was has played 20 or 30 games over the last couple of years. And has, they've just been uncompetitive whenever those guys are, are, um, I mean, that's the other thing. Like it's, it's crazy to think of the, of all the problems that the devils have had last year. If you just look at the games that Mackenzie Blackwood started, they were on pace to be a playoff team. Like that, it's just, it's absurd. Like they like, like they have one goalie that they look like a playoff team whenever he plays. And then they look, they, their winning percentage was worse than the Red Wings whenever he didn't play. Yeah. So it'll be really exciting to see what they could do next year. Now that Blackwood is finally, I guess, ingrained as the starting goalie. And maybe this can be a contending team. Now Gusev is ready and all the, you know, Jack Hughes could be better. Like there are, I, I feel like now I'm just going to hopefully not make the same mistake again, but I feel excited about the devils for next season. They sound like an exciting team. They're interesting. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, you, they, they, things could look totally different six months from now. We have no idea what, you know, on several different levels, what they're going to look like. But I mean, it's a, it's a huge summer for them, not only because they have to pick the GM that they think will hopefully lead them back to the, being a Stanley Cup contender and a coach, but they might have three first round picks. Oh and, yeah. Wow. I mean, the biggest thing is like, they think they have the the first two centers with Jack and Nico, and they think they've got a goalie with Mackenzie Blackwood. But I mean, if, who are you putting next on the list of guys that you can definitely count on for twenty twenty five? It's pretty short. So so those are uh, like they they like they really like Ty Smith, and they really like Nolan Foot, and they really like Jesper Bratt, and maybe somebody like Jesper Boquist or Nick Markley comes along. But really, like they they need one or two of these first round picks from this year to be like the next, like they might, they think they might have Taves and Kane, but they really need a Hosa or a, a Keith or somebody like that to, to kind of ride shotgun with them. And so that, that's the best chance for them to get it is probably, you know, with one of these first round picks this year, or maybe the first round pick next year. Right. They, they don't plan on doing anything like big and free agency. I assume they're not going to be re-signing Taylor Hall to a long-term contract. Yeah. I, I mean, there, he's certainly not going to, I can't imagine they would give him like, seven years and $70 million or anything crazy like that. But I mean, look, we, we have no idea what's going to happen with the free agents this year. It could be, it could literally be a year like it was a couple of years ago in baseball where nobody could get any money. And they just like, who know? I mean, somebody out of that group, whether it's Taylor Hall or uh, Tory Kruger, somebody like that just ends up signing a one year deal or a two year deal or something, something silly. Um, you know, then that maybe, I mean, look, they, a lot of people in the organization really like Hall and, I still think to this day, like if there wasn't that rule that you have, you can only sign contracts like within a year of the end of the other one. Like if they, if the devils could have signed him to a contract extension on July 1st, 2018, after right after he had just won the MVP, he'd be on the team right now. Like that. I just, I think they would have done it. I think they were that convinced that he was, could be their franchise guy for the next eight years or whatever, but they weren't allowed and things never really were the same after that because of the injuries and because the team didn't win. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I think I, I don't think he's going to be back with the devils, but it's not a, it's not a hundred percent that he's not going to be back. Oh, okay. I just threw it out kind of as a joke. So that would be, that would be definitely interesting. <laughs> Let's just say non-zero, right? Like, I mean, if there were, if there was some weird thing where he couldn't, he couldn't get the, the big seven or eight year deal that he wants out there. And I think he might, I mean, I think the coyotes might, the coyotes are probably the team now that are are going to be willing to give him the big contract. It's just, they've got to move some stuff around to make room for him. But yeah, I mean, if he, if you told me that on like whatever, whatever day that is August 30th or whatever day, the first day of uh, September 1st, whatever the day, the first day of free agency is, if you told me that Taylor Hall didn't sign that day and on September 2nd, he was looking around like a game of musical chairs with no place to sit and he needed a one year, $10 million deal to, to try to rebuild his value. I mean, New Jersey wouldn't be the worst place for him to go. 
Yeah. And not many teams have that 10 million in cap space. So that would, okay. So I really appreciate all the time you've given us. This hour has just flown by uh, one question to finish things off that we've been asking all of our beat writers that have been kind enough to give us these interviews. If you could pick one devil for next season that you expect to be like the biggest positive surprise. So in terms of, let's say fantasy hockey, like someone that people might draft or not even draft or draft late. And then they'll end up like being paying dividends compared to what they spent on them. And then also pick one devil who's going to be like the biggest disappointment who like we have high hopes for and then he probably won't meet those expectations who would be your two picks Ooh, that's a good question um well i got to imagine that just about everybody on the team is going to be relatively undervalued right um, just i mean there's just no like i can't even imagine who like i guess maybe nico or kyle would be the first one taken and it probably won't be until later on in the draft I guess the only person I could think of would be like Mackenzie Blackwood. If people see what he did at the end of the season and think he's going to be like a top five goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I would say, yeah, if anything, I think he's probably the guy just because I don't trust. I mean, if it's not obvious already, I, I just don't trust goalies. Like, I mean, Matt Murray was Matt Murray looked like he was going to be, you know, Ken Dryden after the first two years of his career. Yeah. And now we don't even know, like, I think he's still going to be a starter somewhere, but he might not be, you know, there's, there's, there are, there have been goalies, you know, Jim Carrey, maybe Matt Murray, we don't know. Like there have been guys who like their the first couple seasons in their career was the best of their career. I mean, Cam Ward was never as good as he was in the 2006 playoffs ever again. Um, so I, look, I, I would say that he's probably the one guy that there's the most risk involved because he is, you, we are going to go into next season with people thinking he'll play 60 games. And since there are only like 10 or 12 guys in the league that, that have that sort of let you know sort of job security like i think he will probably go pretty high in terms of the goalies and he we don't know that he'll definitely be able to handle that i think he might but we don't know so I, he's probably the one for the there's probably the most risk of disappointing there um or jower or maybe even jack if, they, if people think he's going to have like a huge second year and maybe it takes him one more year but i think the guy who's see i would say like damon severson is a guy who i think with the right coach and the right system and the right partner could still end up being like a solid top pairing guy in the league and rack up a bunch of points, but I don't know if he's even going to get drafted to be, he's almost like a waiver wire guy that would mm-hmm. you know, pick up 20 games into the season. So yeah, I guess, I, I guess the, I guess Nico is the answer then, right? The guy who might be like a 10th round draft pick and end up being like a really, really good player and should have gone way higher than that. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And Severson last year, what was that guy that you just described? Like people were all of a sudden, Oh, it's Severson's turn. And then he, he had a really good stretch where he was getting points on almost every game. It was really exciting. And then obviously it fell apart because it seems like David Severson, from what I've seen, like isn't the type of person that stays consistently used on the top power play for a full season. But like you said, a new coach next year. Yeah, he's the one guy. I mean, look, they don't, like we talked about how like we know, they think they know that Jack and Nico are going to be the two guys whenever it's time to make a deep playoff run. On defense, they really have no idea. I mean, like, I think that, Ty Smith and Damon Severson will probably be two of the top four or top five guys in 2025 or let's say 2023. But yeah, like where, you know, are they going to add another like $10 million a year guy at some point once PK is, is off the books or are they going to draft Jamie Drysdale this year and he'll be the number one guy? Like it's, it's still hard to tell, but I, I do think that like if, if Damon Severson had like the, some of the guys he's played with just haven't been necessarily been at that level. But if you, if you could put him next to like Mark and uh, Mark Edward classic in his prime, somebody like that, if, like he, I think Damon Severson would be like a borderline all-star in the league. Um, wow. He has that ability. It's just like, he hasn't necessarily got along with all of his coaches that he's had and he's had some consistency issues and it's in there. I, I, I'm not ready to give up on him still being like a 55 point guy at some point. That's wild. Okay, so I like him as the potential surprise guy for next year. And I guess he just needs to be put in the right situation. So Corey, thank you so much for all the time you gave me and for discussing all of these interesting players of the New Jersey Devils. Like I said, I feel like I've had this happen a couple of times now. Like now that I'm done this interview, I'm like more excited about the Devils next year than I was going into this. Uh, So people want to follow everything you're doing. Obviously, you're on Twitter at CMasisak22. Any uh, story behind the 22 there? Uh, no, just, it was my number in high school. Oh, or, cool. As long as I, uh, I, I had a, uh, an older cousin who played college baseball and wore number 22 and was like, I was sort of like the, the younger, always looking up to him. So it was just always 22 for me. Oh, I you. Him, so. <laughs> and then of course, uh, people should be reading your work over on the athletic. Is there anything in particular you'd like to plug before I let you go? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, the, 
I mean, the one story that I've written lately that everybody seemed to like was uh, I did a oral history of the brick tournament that Jack Hughes played in when he was 10 years old. And it was really, I mean, I, I sort of found out about it whenever I was working on a story about other guys in Jack's class that are all from New York last season. There was a bunch of kids from New York at the, at the U.S. program, and they all talked about how they met each other at the brick tournament when they were 10. And so, like, I had looked up some stuff for that story, and whenever I saw the names that were in part of this tournament, I was like, holy crap, I got to do, this is a, like, I've never seen anybody write about this before. So, I mean, they, basically, they had a, a tournament with 10-year-olds in the West Edmonton Mall, and there were 14 first-round picks in, in that tournament, and, like, almost 50 guys that got drafted. So it was really, like, the craziest uh, collection of 10-year-old ho- hockey talent anyone's ever seen before. <laughs> and also, the game was, the championship game was crazy. They Jack's team won four overtimes. So, um, yeah, it was just really, like, getting to talk to, like, we talked to, between me and several other athletic writers, we talked to almost 20 players from the tournament, and... I talked to the guy who runs it from Edmonton and it was just, it was a fun story and people have really liked it. So that's a good one. If people haven't read that one. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. I'm seeing this list of players who are playing this tournament. Yeah. A lot of names that we've been talking about in this V writer series. So yeah, very interesting. And yeah, so people should check that out. Uh, obviously theathletic.com. And again, Corey, thank you so much for all of your time. And I hope you have a really great rest of your day. And I really hope the devils can turn things around next year. I, I think this could be a really strong team. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting one way or another. That, that seems to be the, the case with them. They This year, the, the, the product was not good, but it, the job was interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> the one I'm most excited about still is Nikita Gusev. I don't know why. I just have this hunch that he could be really awesome, but maybe well, I'm, like, too high on him now. Put it this way. I So, like, my first job in hockey was covering the Capitals. Um, my first season was the first season when Ovechkin and Backstrom and those guys made the playoffs in 07-08. And all those guys that they had... Alexander Semen was far and away my favorite player to watch. He was not necessarily my favorite player to deal with because he didn't really speak a whole lot of English. And uh, he just was not necessarily the nicest guy all the time. But I just loved watching him. He just he thought the game completely different than anybody else. And, and then it's not just because he's Russian, but Nikita has the same – he has that gene. There's like only maybe eight or ten guys in the whole league that you can just tell that they're thinking things differently whenever they have the puck in space or on the power play or whatever. So I like, I just, yeah, I, I, I have enjoyed watching him play. Uh, like I said, I haven't, he has done very little in the terms of interviews because he doesn't speak a lot of English, but um, just watching him play has been a lot of fun. Thanks again so much. And I'm never good at ending these things, but goodbye. Right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And thanks again. Thank you so much again, Corey, for all of your time talking about the devils. Uh, you definitely did not pull a uh, Corey Schneider and only come out strong at the end. It was solid all the way through. Corey Crawford, back when he was winning the cup. That's what kind of interview this was. So thanks again. And thank you, of course, to everyone listening. We really appreciate you sticking with us. And I hope that you've been enjoying this 31 Beats Beat Writer Series. If you have, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you like it, of course, we would also appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Doesn't cost you a thing. Helps us out. Win-win, right? And if you are thinking, no, I do want it to cost me a thing, then fine. Throw us a buck once a month. Become a patron of Keeping Carlson. We'd also, of course, appreciate that. We have our patron-only Facebook group, which maybe will get a little more exciting soon if we get some playoff hockey talk going. And also our monthly patron cast, Brian and I will be dropping another one of our bonus episodes I guess in a couple of weeks now, we do it around the start of every month. So for all of the info on that and to give us that token to show you support the show, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, I am going to go ahead and cue the outro music. And here are the credits for this show. The Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. And it was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Tools, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World. I'll be honest, I didn't use all of these things, but I used some of them. And of course, we had Corey Massasak from The Athletic who gave us all of his time and knowledge and expertise talking about the New Jersey Devils. So thank you again for tuning in. We'll be back at you with our next Beat Writer interview in a few days. And until then, keep on keeping Carl Sahn.